0: everyone, Marius Massilar here, bringing you a new interview edition of the Soundcast. Today we welcome back the extraordinary Richard Jakes. Welcome back. Hey, Marius. So we last spoke way back in, I think it was November of 2010, about uh, 007 Bloodstone. That's right. And I mean, obviously there's been a huge outpouring of, of positive reviews about the score, and it's all very well earned. But since then, you've been keeping very busy... So I was wondering if you had any specific projects that have come up in the meantime that you might want to mention besides the recent ones.
1: Sure, well, um, the uh, yeah, I mean, working on the uh, James Bond project was was fantastic and uh, the response was was amazing and sort of uh, beyond my wildest dreams. So it's been great coming off the back of that um, and doing some other projects. Um, since we last chatted, uh, I've been doing some tracks for Forza Motorsport 4 for Microsoft, which was released last fall. The game was um, super superb and um, you know got some incredible reviews and I've been playing it a lot at home so that was a little bit of a different uh, departure from from maybe what a lot of people would expect from me and I was doing a lot of electronica um, tracks for that which were were all interactive in the game so you know some nice big break beats and things like that and um, that's a style that I write in um, quite a bit so it was nice to to get back to that and do some kicking tracks for the game.
0: Oh, I can imagine. Was there something about the racing genre that you found interesting as compared to the kinds of things you you work in more often?
1: Definitely. I mean, I've done quite a few racing games in my career, but but one of the cool things I loved about this was you know not only because it's a fantastic game, but the um, audio director really wanted the the music to be as interactive as possible, and that's sometimes rare in a racing game. They just want to kind of put a load of uh, licensed tracks or something um, in the game, which is great and it's fine for um you know various other games but we were able to do some really cool things so you know whenever you're going on a tight turn and you, you skid or you get a you get a replay and the camera slows down you know the music works perfectly with that and we were able to compose it in a way where there are a lot of different sections to it so whatever is happening on screen and you know the presentation in the game is so wonderful with all the different camera angles and flybys and replays it is very very slick presentation so we, we were able to key into that very much and um, you know actually work with uh, the coders on on a very um, close basis to get the music um, you know reacting to exactly what was happening in the game, which um, you know makes all the difference in a racing game.
0: Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. I don't think I've actually uh, encountered that in any of the racing games I've played recently. I embarrassingly enough, I actually haven't played Fords of Motorsport four yet, so I don't have a sense for how how your music actually came together in the game. But having an interactive score for a racing game seemed like something that would be more obvious. So I'm I'm surprised that. It hadn't been explored too much before.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, a lot of the franchise uses um, licensed tracks and, um, you know, that works great. But uh, I think having this as a a different element really makes a a big difference. Certainly when I've been playing it and and knowing how the system works, I found it very, very interesting. And it it really um, makes the adrenaline even even bigger because, you know, racing games are all about that kind of, you know, getting your best lap time, working your way up through the rest of the pack. And this kind of really adds to the feel of that. So, um, you know, it's a great idea um, for the team at Microsoft to uh, to do that and um, I was you know really happy to to be involved on the soundtrack
0: all right well aside from uh, from this I, I suppose the biggest thing that's been on your plate is your involvement with the uh, folks over at Media molecule. Working for uh, the little big planet franchise
1: that's right yeah I mean i um, I've done a lot of work on the franchise um, in the last sort of six to twelve months. Um, my involvement began I uh, started working on little big planet two the, um, the the sequel the the box copy release um, so I was working on that um, fairly soon after um, James Bond bloodstone, and I was working on three or four tracks for the for the in game music which covered a multitude of styles as um as most people know if they played the game it has a wonderfully sort of quirky and um, it's just a fantastic kind of concept um overall and, and you know the music has to sort of key into that as well so i was able to do some pretty crazy things mixing or sort of renaissance instruments with trip hop and you know just just a real kind of um i got a real buzz out of being able to be you know quite experimentive and you know just just basically putting down what i felt um from from seeing the game in front of me so it was great working on that and actually seeing the uh, seeing my tracks in the levels was just so brilliant because uh, you know it's such an individual game um, the, the designers at medium molecule are absolutely superb and and the levels that they come up with just you know incredible and completely insane as well so it was fantastic you know to be able to score score to those levels
0: oh yeah it's it's one of those games that you can't help but smile when you play it you know one way or the other it's just it's cheerful it's wonderful it's it's surprising I'm wondering if you could, uh, if you could walk us through. I mean, it's, like you were saying, it's such an eclectic, not only game, but the music is always so different. Um, how did you actually land on, on the styles? I mean, what, what was the creative process like even early on trying to define what Little Big Planet would sound like?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I was working very closely with Kenny Young, who's the audio director at Media Molecule, and he's kind of had the vision right from day one um, about the overall style and sound of Little Big Planet. Um, as I wasn't involved with the first one, they they originally kind of set the set the tone, if you like, by having a combination of licensed music and original score. Um, so for the second one, we we basically wanted to take that further. Um, the sequel's a lot bigger, and it has. Probably fifty or sixty licensed tracks, as well as all the interactive score that myself and some of the other composers have worked on. The music that I've worked on is is very interactive. Again, it has six layers of music, which is which is quite a lot um, for composing interactively. But the uh, tricky thing about Little Big Planet is that all these layers are completely different styles. <laughs> so, um, in one of the levels, for example, you have there's a, there's a level called. Um, da Vinci's Castle I think it's called and um, it has you know it has like traditional renaissance instruments sort of 15th 16th century instruments Um, and then it has another stem which is kind of reminiscent of Vivaldi and then it has another stem which is all kind of trip hop beats and then it has another stem that's all kind of electronica and a bit quirky and very analogue synth and things like that and then it goes crazy in, in another one of the tracks I did for the game where it has big band on one stem it has electronica on another and all this crazy kind of robotic sound design. And yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty much um, <laughs> how big's your imagination, you know? And, and what it does for the game is it gives the player so much scope of what, you know, how they use those tracks in their own levels, but in the um, actual sort of preset levels in, in the, um, the game itself the music just constantly changes and evolves and goes through all these crazy references and influences that the uh, the artwork um, demands. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty far out there. But again, um, it, it's nice to be pushed creatively. That's something that myself and other composers thrive upon. And, um, you know, when someone says, can you combine a, a 50s Pathé newsreel music with um, trip-hop and marching band, you know, <laughs> it's up to the composer to, um, to uh, realise that.
0: Yeah, now, you mentioned that there's a lot of licensed music. And of course, that's the case um now, as well as with the first one, as you were saying, one of the things that I always wondered about the uh, Little Big Planet franchise in general was when it comes to the music, do they do the licensing first, and then the composers work sort of afterwards? Or are the composers in first? Or is it the same time? Or what like, what's the, you know, what what is the interaction between the licensed music and the work that you guys are doing?
1: Um to my knowledge, it's it, a lot of it is happening at the same time, but the music licensing department at Sony will always have a, a kind of hit list of what they what they're trying to license and what they're they're putting forward for the game. Um you know, anything involving licensed music, it doesn't always happen. But um I would say when I came onto Little Big Planet 2, um at least 50% of the licensed music was already um, you know, a done deal. So I could therefore look at the list and um, go and check out the reference tracks and, and get a feel of what was going to happen in those sections of the game. So even though they were, they were still t- tying up some loose ends on the licensing front, I knew exactly um, the direction it was going, shall we say that, you know, most definitely. So that was quite important to make sure the composed music fitted in perfectly with the licensed music and they, they complemented one another.
0: OK, so it's basically they had a, a set direction beforehand and then everyone was just aiming to hit that, whether with the license tracks or.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we were still given plenty of freedom for the um, original music, um, but, but it gave us a flavor of the overall uh, direction and scope of the, uh, the soundtrack. So, yeah, we had to sort of make sure, you know, we were going to be up there in terms of quality and production values, um, but also making our music uh, custom fit every level.
0: Yeah, and, and did you, uh, I mean, it, this is always something that seems strange to me, but, you know, because there were multiple composers, did you have a lot of interaction with them? Or was it really sort of everyone in their own studio working?
1: Yeah, pretty much everyone in their own studio working. Um, I know a couple of the composers, but there was there was no interaction. We were doing completely different parts of the game, and we were selected um, because of our styles and our background and our experience, um, specifically for those levels.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the most recent DLC here is the Muppets, and you're responsible for the music, which is always exciting. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) right. And you're going to have to help me out here because I grew up in the same kind of, I mean, the Muppets era was not too distant from my own, but I've always had a bit of a struggle understanding what it really is about them that's so hugely appealing. I mean, I, I used to watch, I watched all the films, but what do you think it is about the Muppets that gives them such a lasting
1: appeal? I mean, I, I grew up when they were still very much on TV here in the uh, in the UK. So I was watching them on a, as a kid on a Saturday night. I think partly is because there's so many different kinds of characters in the Muppets. As people, we can all see. A, portion of ourselves in them you know that they're, they're not perfect but they they try very hard and they dust themselves off and pick themselves back up and try again so it's, it's partly that we empathize with them and um, we find something in common with them and I think um, that's part of the appeal of us as humans connecting with them if you like with the, with these puppet characters essentially um, But but also just the the humor is just so Fantastic, and it's it's appealing on all levels for all ages, um, and and uh, you know above all it's just fantastic fun.
0: Yeah, they are very charming. You know, I, I always wonder the most lasting of of franchises what they have, what what spark really powers them. Now, in the case of the Muppets, they've also got uh, a very strong musical identity. Actually, they they have a you know everyone knows the theme song and that kind of thing. So when you came in here and and were tasked with you know refreshing all of this, what were you most concerned about in terms of I guess if you if you wanted to remain faithful to some element of the original musical voice of the Muppets what was it that you wanted to make sure came across in these new tracks that you were doing
1: well I think it had to be you know respectful of the show and the overall style I mean you know when I remember watching the show and I actually referred back to a few episodes while I was researching the project the thing I got from it was that you know it's basically set in a in a Broadway musical if you like in, in a musical with a, with an audience and that that's the general premise of each show um there's obviously a lot of big musical numbers songs with guest stars etc there's parodies etc um and I just remember it being you know great fun but it and it was like going into a, a Broadway theatre and sitting there you know for 90 minutes in front of a hugely entertaining show um so that's the sort of basics that I took from it um you know one of the daunting things was re-recording the theme which which we did with 16 um West End show singers here in London sing in all the musicals from Phantom to Wicked and Lion King and etc so it, it was um a bit daunting to to have to re-record that theme because it's so iconic um, it's, it's like redoing the Bond theme you know how do you re-record something but keep it faithful um, and just bring the, the production up to date so we kept the theme you know as, as the original was but we just you know did it in a studio with a, a full big band and all these singers and it, it turned out great and I was very happy with the results in terms of the composed music it was based around the characters I mean there's um, there's a few tracks that I wrote there's, there's one for Pigs in Space which is the classic kind of uh, Miss Piggy song uh, spin-off within the show which i remember watching uh, very much as a, as a kid and um that, that always said to me kind of 70s sort of jazz funk with a little bit of analog synths and things like that so i wanted to to keep that close to the um close to the fore as well while I, was, while I was writing um and just keep it keep it fun you know do it a little bit tongue-in-cheek but um you know, very but well-written music, good production values, but give it that that element of humor as well in the music that would um, hopefully translate into the game and, and the overall brand. One of the
0: things that's interesting is that, like you said, you recorded with a uh, you know quite a large band, and part of what makes those ensembles work so well, especially in a live scenario, is the way that the musicians can interact with each other. So, because this is game music, and you have to have uh, you know a certain level of of interactivity with the music that you're writing. Uh, How do you actually go about recording these fairly large ensembles, but in a way that gives you that flexibility to then slice and loop and layer and do whatever you need to do in post-production uh,
1: that's a very good question and um it, it depends on the, the the game i'm working on um, in the case of the muppets we had yeah like you said we had a full big band so trumpets trombone saxes rhythm section and then singers as well um, there are instances in the game where we do separate some of the instrumentation out so that was a concern of recording because as you quite rightly said in a big band scenario where you've got you know some of the the, the best jazz musicians in the country sitting together it is all about musical interaction you know the um, the sax section might be playing a, a kind of 16 bar solo all harmonised out and then the trumpets might be playing stabs and they feel of one another especially in terms of the timing and the rhythm and how they actually perform what, what's um, put in front of them on the music stand so that was a bit of a concern but um, we actually recorded it at Angel Studios here in London which is a fantastic studio it's, it's an old church up in North London and the room that I chose to do this in has three gigantic isolation booths. They're literally like a, a, a pretty much a hall within themselves. So we were able to put the uh, the different instrumental sections um, in each of the isolation booths, but they could all completely see each other because they were completely opposite. You know, it's only um, a, a room in the middle that was separating them. So that feel was still there. Um, and then I sat in the middle conducting, um, you know, so they weren't far apart from each other, but we had enough separation on the recording side to actually do what we wanted interactively. Um, the rhythm section was done completely differently at, um, the various other people's studios where I, I went and tracked drums and, and bass and guitar, etc. And the keyboards were done in my studio. So, um, it was uh, quite a lot to put together and a lot of the interactive projects I work on have to be done like that. So we can, um, have some separation or, you know, um, possibilities of remixing or editing um but in general the muppets was done like that with with a few um a few layers were overdubbed as well so you have to you know make sure you've got enough recording time and enough budget to pay the musicians so there's a lot of things to to think about but um in general this this worked out very well and i was you know really happy with the the players they uh they're all friends of mine uh i'm originally a, a trombone player so i used to play in jazz bands with these guys sort of 20 years ago and it's uh amazing to have them back and and working with me again
0: Well, I'm sure they had fun, too. And I know that it's really good for your fans to hear some of the, you know, acrobatics that go into recording these scores, because they sound so cohesive when you listen to them that you don't really imagine that, you know, this part was recorded separately, and there was an isolation booth, and this was overdubbed. And it it all just, it comes, it feels like they're all just in the same room playing, and they're just playing what you're, whatever you're doing in the game, they're following you around, which is... Uh, you know, which is why it's remarkable to, to think of, of what actually goes into making that possible from your end of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there, there's a lot of other things you have to think about, especially with this kind of material. It's all about it's basically jazz and it's all about the sort of swing factor and the feel is, is so much more important than if you were doing a very sort of straight composed orchestral score for example so the, the actual f- musical feel that the player's injecting to the score is crucial for something like this so I would make decisions about which ensembles to record first um you know in this case the the rhythm section was kind of put down and then the uh, the rest of the band were recorded separately and, and that means the uh, the swing factor was already there because I had a, a fantastic jazz drummer work on these tracks so um, but there's lots of little things you have to sort of think about and plan and it's down to sort of experience as well I mean I've done you know so many live recordings now that it's uh, it's quite easy to, to to make those decisions but it does take a, a bit of thought for sure
0: yeah complicated logistics but uh, you pull it off very well oh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> now you work a lot on uh, on franchise games, so one of the things that I Hope you could shed some light on, you know, as a fan of your music, when we're listening to what you do for Little Big Planet or what you do for, you know, what you did for Bond, when are we hearing the most authentically Richard sound? When are we listening to the kind of music that you would be writing in your spare time? Whatever that is.
1: Um, firstly, I don't have any spare time, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, <that's, laughs> I, I understand the question. Um, I think it would be somewhere in between Bond and Mass Effect, something like that. I mean, I do write the, the large scale orchestral works. I am an action score junkie, so action music is what I love to write. And it's, it's you know, the, the common theme that runs throughout everything I write is this is what people tell me is that um, there's usually a hell of a lot of uh, energy put into the music. Um, You know, I don't always write up tempo cues, of course, but um, they they can hear sort of energy and, and that running through everything I write. So, you know, to answer your question, it would probably be somewhere in between Bond and Mass Effect, a, a sort of large scale work with um, thematic content and a lot of energy and, and driving and, uh, you know, rhythmic material and things like that, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I mean, every composer has to be uh, pretty flexible. So I enjoy working on all the franchises I do and, and all the other projects.
0: Oh, of course. And it's always nice to hear you going in a different creative direction. But, you know, sometimes you uh, you come across tracks on your scores where there's there's more energy, like you said.
1: Yeah. yeah something like something like bond or muppets you know i mean i, I love my brass and uh i i really enjoy writing for those guys especially when i know i've got the players but I, i'm thinking about um making an album of my own maybe later this year which will be very different from any of that but that's that's all i'm going to say for now watch this space
0: yeah well i really hope you do that that would be that'd be good in all of your ample spare time whatever that is that that rumored thing uh, yes that other people have
1: <laughs> that's right i remember
0: now, the Muppets DLC is actually still very fresh, but I understand that you're also working on the PlayStation Vita release of Little Big Planet
1: yeah that's correct I I literally just wrapped that up um, late last week so I've just um, delivered the final mixes Um, so again it was great working uh, on the franchise that I I know so well Um, obviously the PlayStation Vita is a different animal from um, the PS3 um, but technically it's incredibly impressive so we were able to do pretty much exactly what we would have done on on the full um, PS3 version so yeah I've just finished um, about four tracks for that Uh, a lot of uh, interactive material again. Um, and I I think that will be released in two to three months time as far as I know
0: Oh, I hope so. I actually, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask was if the new hardware had posed any challenges or any, you know, had required any different approaches to things from your perspective?
1: Um, not from my perspective initially. I mean, I haven't actually got my hands on a dev kit yet, but um, the uh, developer were, were working very closely. And obviously, with any new hardware, um, there's quite a big learning curve, especially for, for launch titles or, or second wave titles. Um, it was a very smooth process for me. Uh, I mean, we we had interactive which you know we, we couldn't have had two or three generations of, of handhelds ago so um, it was great just to be able to do the, the little big planet thing that I, I would normally anyway and um, deliver that and, and get to see that put in the game
0: Have you actually played with the, uh, the device itself yet?
1: yes yeah, so i had a go um at e3 last year and uh it, the, it's just a great form factor it fits so well in your hands and the the rear touch panels i think are going to be very interesting to see what what our developers do with that um you know there's there's nothing that i've really seen that anything like that really so i think we're going to see a lot of innovation over the next six to twelve months of, of game developers actually using the whole rear touch thing um in quite a unique way um and the, the screen is just a superb, you know big, wide, bright screen, it's, it's really a nice bit of hardware.
0: Yeah, I was playing with the display model at, at the shop this week, actually, and I was blown away by just how much they've packed into this thing. It's, you know, it's got like every single control paradigm from the past decade. It's It's got that beautiful screen, and it's extremely powerful. So I'm uh, very eager to get my hands on, on mine, you know, my pre-order comes in this week. But um, what I was going to ask you about it was where you think, and, and this is kind of Tangential here because it's not necessarily music related, but where do you think it fits in the landscape of of handheld gaming? I mean, nowadays it's such a competitive market with the with the iPhone and the iPad and and all these other small, I guess, smartphone games that are gaining a huge amount of traction. Do you think that there's still really the market that there used to be for I guess dedicated handheld gaming hardware?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um, iPads, iPhones, uh, smartphones, etc. Th- even though they're pretty powerful themselves these days um i personally i've never really wanted to play a game on them because there's no real games i want to play on them and i don't know whether that is because of hardware you know i'm not a not a coder myself um i think there's always going to be a place for dedicated handheld especially um from sony and nintendo um because i you know i want to play a game on the move i don't want to play a, a kind of i don't know i don't want to play a game on my phone that's kind of just a bit of an, an add-on to the phone or to the email device that i'm using i want to play a really good high quality game with great production values and i just think the uh, the ps vita is is a, uh, I i mean like you said the, the amount they packed into that <laughs> small handheld device is is pretty incredible so i think you know P- the hardware manufacturers are going to continue to make dedicated gaming platforms. And even if they add on some other functionality as well in the future, I think their first port of call will be to make it a gaming device. And that's something that I will personally always want to play when I'm on the move. See, I'm happy to hear you say that because
0: I have the same feeling. I mean, I I do play a a good number of of iPhone games and things like that. Um, But I always find that In many cases, that's more like, oh, I need to kill a little bit of time while I'm waiting for something. It's not really a gaming experience. It's more just, you know, I can read or I can play Angry Birds or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that kind of um, instant pick up and throw away kind of mentality. Whereas if I was on a, um, a a flight or something, I would literally buy a game on the on the Vita and sit down and play it until it's finished, and I arrived at my destination. That that would make me want to go and buy a specific game for a specific reason. I can sit down and play Uncharted or Little Big Planet or whatever, um, and actually you know get the get the same or similar experience I would on on my home console.
0: And the fact that now you can play an uncharted game you know in a device that's as big as your palm is is crazy it's
1: <laughs> that's, that's that's scary, yeah, soon we'll be we be making music on the p s v too and I can do away with my whole studio
0: oh, yeah, and it's brand new too, so it's gonna be <laughs> yeah um so here's a question from the fans, I suppose it's always been a little bit disconcerting that there's so much wonderful music in the Little Big Planet series. And yet there's never really been a comprehensive release of any of this music.
1: That's true. Um, I don't know the reasoning behind that, but um, I will certainly put that to my friends at Sony and Media Molecule. Um, I think part of the problem is, is that um, video gaming companies still don't really know how to monetize the value of their original music that they either own or co-own with the um, original composer. Um, it's, it's something that I've been asked time and time again for you know, twenty years that I've that I've been doing this. And I actually keep a folder full of emails um from people saying, Where can I buy this soundtrack? Where can I download this soundtrack? Um it's so easy to do, it's so quick and cheap to do. And I think half the problem with the, you know, the music industry in decline the way it has been is is the kind of I mean obviously the piracy is one thing, but but we need to get this stuff out there. It's so easy to do and that's another reason why I'm I'm planning to do some of my own material so that the fans can just, you know, buy it very Reasonable cost, um but they just want to own this stuff and listen to it and buy it and download it and have it on their iPhones or, or get a physical CD for the collectors out there. Um, I don't know the, the real reason for Little Big Planet, but I am um, actually seeing the music director on Thursday, so I will ask him and uh, put that to him for from uh, from the fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is you know this is something that must come up often, and I'm happy that you do keep that folder of emails because you know maybe some someday it will sway them but it does seem like really all that's missing is a convenient way for the fans to get access to the music cuz they want to pay for it, they appreciate it, they you know it's obviously piracy is is there but the fans, the actual true folks who respect the work of the artists just want to be able to have it all at once. I mean there's that music page on the website where you can, you know, go and individually find all the licensed tracks. But again, it's that's not very convenient. I mean that's
1: no, that's true. I mean, like you said, the, the fans are the people that that keep keep us doing what we're doing because they are um, very respectful for all types of soundtracks from from games and movies and TV shows, etc. And those are exactly the kind of um, core audience that we should be aiming this at, where we can sell physical box copy, we can sell download, but it's iTunes. There's, there's so many avenues that we can use now, and of course we've got the uh, PlayStation Network, we've got Xbox Live. So you know, how about selling some game tracks on those platforms?
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's food for thought, but that's uh, there are just so many opportunities to take advantage of, you know, selling these things. And and, and the music really shouldn't just sit around in the game if people want to listen to it.
1: That's right. Well, I I shall uh, definitely take that question to the relevant people. So um, leave that with me.
0: Well, we appreciate it. On a parting note I just wanted to ask what else is uh, on the horizon for you in 2012. I mean you you mentioned sort of that there may possibly be some free time in which you may possibly be doing a personal album but beyond that what's uh, what's on your plate that you can talk about.
1: Sure well um obviously um, there's quite a few things I can't talk about but um, yeah I mean literally just finished up on on Little Planet Vita Um, I'm just completing um, some building work on a new recording studio here in London which I've been working on for two and a half years so very excited to be moving into a new facility which should happen in the next month or or two I would imagine Um, so there's going to be a bit of downtime rewiring the studio and moving all the equipment but it's going to be a good time Um, then there's a couple of projects I've got on which are just about to start which unfortunately uh nda at the moment i can't really discuss i'm afraid um but yeah i, I might might want to do one or two albums of my own which i'm going to have to to book some time in to do and i certainly can't start them until later in the year but it's just something that i want to do and you know like like you said maybe get some my music out there to the fans that uh that isn't from a game
0: yeah well that would be that would be the easiest way because then it would be entirely within your control and you could distributed
1: however you saw fit that's right the things i'm thinking of doing i think would be quite quite different from what people have heard from me but quite interesting as well that there's a few ideas that are just starting to to come to fruition and it is it, it's, it's really nice not to be able to have such a, a frantic time schedule on everything you know my most of my um soundtrack work is is very time time intensive in terms of getting it done and uh, the pressure involved with that it'll be nice to just spend a bit of time and you know kind of be a bit creative and, and find uh, find out what what comes out but um i'll certainly let you know when there's uh, some some uh, news to share with you on that
0: well thank you very much for catching up with us richard we are all eager to hear what you do come up with next so keep working your magic and uh, we hope to speak to you again soon
1: thanks Mario. it's great to talk to you
0: soundtrack geniuses thank you for tuning in to the soundcast keep checking tracksounds.com for the latest film and video game soundtrack reviews now in convenient audio form too until next time this is marius Masalar wishing you a jazzy day